The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind a show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid up, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now... They bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of Kaniski goes for the pin on Joe Marcus, didn't quite make it. Well, it's a curfew match, and we'll uh, see if these guys can get the pins in, Ooh. get their credits, as they say. Look out. Kaniski with that crushing drop. Uh-oh. There's a reverse suplex, and there we have it. One, two, three. Kaniski goes one fall up, and I uh, I believe that's going, going to coincide with, coincide with curfew. The winner of the match, Kelly Kaniski. All right, let's get it rolling right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Brought to you today and powered by our good old friends over at Eat Your Coffee. Head over to eatyour.coffee right now and save by using the code POWERTRIP at checkout and experience the Eat Your Coffee revolution with every single bite of an Eat Your Coffee bar. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And John, we are rounding third and heading home to TMPT Con 3, and we'll touch on that in just a minute. But today we're going extra special. We're going deep inside with another rare podcasting guest as we welcome in Kelly Kaniski 
to the two-man power trip of wrestling for a great chat that you had with Kelly about a lot of really cool topics, but we'll get into that also here in a minute. But let's touch on TMPT Con 3, the 35th anniversary of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express. It's finally here. It's coming in just a couple of days down in Richmond, Virginia. You can head to tmptofwrestling.com. There you can get the portal over to brownpapertickets.com where all the tickets are being housed. Only a limited time left to get yours before the pre-sale ends, and you'll have to get it on site Saturday at TMPT Con 3. But, John, I mean, we've been talking about it for months. We've had on Jim Cornette. We've had on Stan Lane. We've talked to Shane Douglas for the last couple of weeks about it as well. Get some final thoughts in here, if you can, about TMPT Con 3, the big 35th anniversary spectacular. Very, very excited for this one. I mean, every year we do this for the last three years, it's just always kind of that build up. You get the little butterflies in the stomach. You get very excited. You, you know, you kind of don't know what it's going to bring, but you know it's going to be fun. And it's going to be awesome. And when we first started it, we kind of were like, oh, you know, maybe we'll do it next year. Then the next year we're like, man, this is great. You know, we obviously we had the NWO and David Arquette last year. And then this year, we're like, man, we got to go old school and we got to go big and we got to go loud, baby. So the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express is just awesome to me personally, but it's going to be great for those fans in Richmond who absolutely were clamoring for this. And last year they were saying, you know, add in the Rock and Roll Express. We added in the Rock and Roll Express. Add in some old school guys like Private Jim Nelson. Guess what? We added him in. In case you didn't know, that is Boris Zukov. You added in Baby Doll, obviously, who Chad mentioned. Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane, Dennis Connery, Jim Cornette. You know, it's just old school flavor to it, to the bone. It's awesome stuff. Throw in a little bit of the Hebners. You throw in Gremlina from Glow. Throw in all the CW champions and then Francine. Very, very a cool, very eclectic group. It's an awesome setup there at the Holiday Inn in Richmond. And I just absolutely love, love the VIP Jim Cornette experience. I think it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be something very special for those limited fans that are in attendance. Yeah, I mean, and we're close to a sellout here on the Jim Cornette experience. Uh, the VIP taking place after the convention, which is going to be awesome. I mean, there's no uh, when you give Jim Cornette a live mic, there's no uh, <laughs> there's there's nothing that can keep him uh, caged. He's going to become unhinged, and we know uh, in only the way Cornette can. It's going to be very special. And that is just coming here in a couple of days. So if you're going to join us, please come up and say hello. Please enjoy your day. And uh, we will put TMPT Con to bed next week with a wrap-up. But we uh, get here, like I said, rounding third base, heading home. I'm going to go for the head-first slide as TMPT Con 3 is just a matter of days away. But let's turn our attention to today's interview with the son of a former NWA world champion who is Gene Kaniski. This is Kelly Kaniski. And a guy who I didn't really even know this until you had told me that Kelly Kaniski was another member of that elusive West Texas State University football team. So I'm sure that's something we have to look forward to today. But, John, tell us what we do have to look forward to in this chat that you had with Kelly Kaniski about not only the wrestling career, but maybe some of those uh, college stories as well. Speaking of that, and speaking of West Texas State and playing football, 
when we did mark out the Meadowlands, we were trying to get all the guys together, and obviously we couldn't get them all for you know various different reasons. But Kelly Kaniski had a little bit of minor surgery, and he, he couldn't really make it. And, and you know that was kind of unfortunate because that would have been quite a coup to get him. First of all, he's rare to the autograph scene, but it would have been awesome to kind of get all those guys together. You know, we had Tito, obviously, and Hanson and, and Tully, so it would have been very. And Manny Fernandez was there as well, but it would have been pretty damn cool to throw. Kelly Kinesi's name in the hat because not only did he play football with Tito and Tully, he was the roommate of Tully Blanchard. So that was really cool. And I love that there's so much story and so much history there because not only do you talk about West Texas with him and Tully being teammates playing and, and Tito Santana being the tight end and everything else, there is a, a bit of a backstory there. And it's about the Funks and his history with Dick Murdoch and Dusty Rhodes. So it's pretty awesome that. You throw in that mix just as far as those guys playing college football together, but then you throw in the legendary history of the West Texas State and all those guys that played there before him, and then he tie in wrestling to it, which adds another awesome layer to it. I just love that. You think about that for a second. You got all those legendary names, and then you think about his father, Gene Kaniski, and you do get some great stories about what Gene Kaniski had to say about Dusty, what Gene Kaniski had to say about the Funks, but most importantly, what Gene Kaniski had to say about Dick Murdoch. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. Very funny, very good stuff. And it's awesome to think that, you know, he's looking, Kelly Kaniski's looking up to these guys as, you know, role models, and that's what he wants to do. And Gene Kaniski may have a little different take on some of those guys, or or maybe specifically Dick Murdoch, and maybe he didn't want his son kind of following in those footsteps, if you know what I mean. But there's a great story in that. But I just love kind of, you know, the how proud he is, not only of being a wrestler, but being the son of the legendary Gene Kaniski, one of the greatest NWA World Heavyweight Champions of all time. But then you think about that, the football wrestling topic. I mean, that always kind of goes hand in hand, but especially in this interview, I really felt that um, it really, really, you know, went almost uh, very close, almost so, so, so close to football and wrestling connection. But also just to throw this out there as well, we talk about Luthez, we talk about the NWA title, we talk about Ray Stevens. I mean, we talk about a lot of different legendary wrestling figures. Yeah, oh my God, and he really just absolutely made his way around so many of those, uh, you know, Midwestern to Southwestern territories, so he came across everybody, and uh, looking at the run sheet, looking at all the matches, all the feuds and stuff, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong, and I don't know why, I feel like I did see him, but didn't he have a little cup of coffee in the WWF in the mid-80s? Because I feel like I, I remember Gorilla Monsoon announcing him or Gene Okerlund announcing him. And I was trying to find something, but I, I could, didn't come across it. Am I completely uh, coming out of left field with that statement? You probably are. You might be a little bit crazy on that. We actually didn't get into WWF at all. And, and I couldn't find anything about him being in the WWF. Hey, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the research uh, was a little faulty, but I didn't find anything about him ever making his way to the uh, WWF, but he did spend a considerable amount of time in AWA and world-class and Mid-South and a lot of those huge, and of course, Mid-Atlantic. So there's a lot of great territories, a lot of legendary um, territories that he, that he was at. But the, as far as, WWF? No, I, I don't recall him ever being there. And I'm trying to remember if we 
ended up talking. I know we talked about WWE and kind of Vince McMahon and things things of that nature, but I don't think we ever got into WWF. And I and I remember looking through, um, you know, through various sites and, and various books and stuff, but I don't remember ever seeing him make his way into the hallowed halls of the World Wrestling Federation. Huh, call me. I guess call me crazy. I guess I feel like I saw it, but I guess maybe uh, maybe I'm wrong. I guess I didn't. But hey, look, nonetheless, a great interview. A very rare guest again for the uh, the podcasting airwaves. And uh, as we've said many many times in the past, when you want to find that rare guest, a guy who hasn't been out there much, this is the place to stop because you're going to hear them go uh, bell to bell, if you will. And uh, another great job by you again, John. So enjoy the Kelly Kaniski interview another west texas state guy we should put a list together for that and see who we've got from the west texas team we've got a pretty damn good number of those uh those hosses from the west texas state university football team uh but great to have kelly kaniski on the air and great way to head into tmpt con 3 the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. So that's enough out of me. We've talked about it enough. If you're not going to be joining us, you are missing out. So get your asses down to Richmond right now and wait for us. We'll be there Saturday for TMPT Con 3. So, John, why don't we wrap it up here nice? Let's hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to Kelly Kaniski. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rose, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane Jacobs. The phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, TMPTOfWrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former world-class world television champion, a former NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team champion, and of course the son of the legendary Gene Kaniski, Here's Kelly Kuniski. Please enjoy. All right, joining us on the line tonight is a former NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champion, a former world-class world television champion. Of course, he is the son of the legendary Gene Kuniski. He is Kelly Kuniski. Welcome to the two-man power trip. John, I really appreciate you putting me on the two-man power trip of wrestling. Um, you brought back quite a few memories and stuff. You know, growing up with my dad being Gene Kaniski, he was like a rock star back in those days in the 70s. He was like being around God. He'd walk in, like uh, we went up hunting one day, and he ran out of money, 
He walked into the bank, and the bank guy gave him a thousand bucks. He didn't have to sign anything or do anything, and this come out of his account uh, down in um, uh, close to the border in Blaine. Wow, it's pre- it's pretty impressive. You got to be a pretty big uh, star, you know, pretty well known guy to be able to do something like that. Oh yeah, he just was known all over. My dad always, you know, like if someone come up to meet him, he was always super polite right to the very end. He'd get up and shake their hand, ask them where they're from, what do they do for a living, and I, I'd watched all this all the time. And then when I started getting older, um, my dad and quite a few pro wrestlers would come down to my amateur wrestling practice, and we'd work out, and they would switch on me. So I would, I would always be getting a fresh wrestler and really would take a, a lot out of me in those days. I really thought uh, all the wrestlers were just the toughest guys that walked around. And then in the summer, I'd work out with the pro wrestlers on the weights and doing push-ups and sit-ups. And the time they got done with me, my arms were so tired that I couldn't even sit up straight. Someone had to sort of help me up to get off the ground. Oh, wow. Now, obviously, amateur wrestling, pro wrestling, but was it a lot of pressure being the son of the legendary Gene Kaniski? Yes, Um a lot of guys, when I, when I was real young, like in the third and fourth grade, wanted to fight me, and I didn't know why, and I didn't really want to fight them. I was like, there was, um, I, I, I wasn't mad at them or anything, but they wanted to try me because my dad was a pro wrestler, and a lot of times I'd have to stand up next to the wall because I got in a fight with somebody that just wanted to fight me. I remember one night I come home and I got disqualified wrestling. I turned the guy away from the referee, and I took my fist and busted him right in the nose and broke his nose, and they caught it on the TV tape at the school. And so then I got disqualified. My dad come home that night, and he got disqualified, so he couldn't say much to me. (laughs) Now, you know, being his son, and it is a lot of pressure, obviously he's super, super famous. The man that beat Lou says for the NWA world title, had a very long title reign. He eventually loses Dory Funk. So, I mean, those are some of the biggest names ever in the history of business that he is basically tied to and associated with basically you know, for his whole career. Being that former NWA world champion son, what is that like? Being the son of the world champion? Well, yep. I wanted to go to school once he won the title, and I wanted to show and tell the world title, but he wouldn't let me take it, and I remember that. Um, I remember my dad being gone all the time, and my mom took care of my brother Nick and I, and we sort of had, we did different things, uh, like, you know, like we went to a hamburger joint one night and maybe Shakey's Pizza the next night, maybe an auction, and then, you know, when we were used to our routine, all of a sudden my dad would show up, we had to get dressed up, and all of a sudden sort of stand at attention, and all of a sudden we did whatever he wanted to do, and I didn't quite understand that as a kid, that my dad was making the money and the man of the house, only all of a sudden, like, why why do we have to do what he tells us now? Hmm. Interesting. And with him being, obviously, man of the house, making the money, being the NWA world champion, not being around, they always said when you were the NWA champion, you were such a touring champion, you hardly ever home. They would send you to Japan. They would send you, you know, wherever they send you all around the world that you were, had to be responsible for that belt and you'd have to make all those bookings and you had to make sure the, um, you know, the NWA was represented well. 
for sure. My dad always wrestled our matches every night. My dad says, for every dollar you spend to see me, you get a $5 value. And believe me, like some of the wrestlers nowadays, they have like a five or ten minute match. And, you know, I would be mad if I showed up and the match was that short. My my dad um, went in there and when he was in the ring, there was excitement. Like when I was a little kid, I would walk up to the ring like with Ronnie Piper and I'd get his autograph and take his kilt back to the dressing room and Dutch Savage and um, just all, all different um, types of wrestlers there. Um, uh, it was, I used to sell programs at the matches. I used to make a nickel program that I sold. Um, I, I didn't go to wrestling very often because usually I had school and, and studies and that. So uh, on special nights, my dad would take us on the road, I guess, just to see us kids. And usually he would stop and buy some beer on the way home. And he would give Nick and I like a bot- one bottle of beer that we split between us, and then he'd buy us a whole cart of beef jerky. And we thought, boy, we're, we're really big time then. <laughs> he's obviously, you know, huge name in the business. And if you look at the Pantheon of Great Champions, he has such a great NWA title reign. And, you know, he's called Canada's Greatest Athlete. So when he's kind of going through the business and you're kind of growing up, and like you said, you come to school, you're doing amateur wrestling, sometimes getting DQ'd, and, you know, as you're going through, does he want you to become a professional wrestler? Does he want you to follow in his footsteps? I don't believe he ever did. I think he knew how rough a life it was and how hard it was to stay married. Um, he never said that to me. The only stipulation that he ever gave me is that I had to go to university and I had to graduate before I started wrestling. And that's what I did. He, I was on a scholarship to West Texas State. And um, I, Tully Blanchard was my roommate the first year. And i got to really thank Tully because he said, no matter what, what time you get at night, you always got to get up in the morning and go to school and do your homework and turn it in. And uh, just from Tully telling me that, that's what made me graduate. And then I only lived like about a mile away from uh, Vicky and Terry Funk and they had a, a nice ranch out there, and they just treated me like their own kid. They just spoiled me. I could take a nap on their couch. They'd invite me over to eat supper. I would help them with the horses and the cattle. I remember with Vicky and I, Terry would be gone wrestling, and we'd be out there, and the wind would be blowing, and we'd be fixing fence. But I just have really fond memories of those days. My dad said when I went to West Texas State, he said, there's two guys I want you to stay away from it. And I said, who's that? And he said, uh, Dick Murdoch and Ray Stevens. And those were the first two guys I went and saw. Um, mm. Dick Murdoch, he treated me, like he was just outside, like three miles away from Canyon, Texas, his ranch. And he would take me on the road, um, pay for all my food and everything, my hotel room. And I thought I would stay with him. He goes, no, you get your separate hotel room. He would fly me to different matches, and I wasn't wrestling or nothing. I was just coming along and having a good time. And I remember Dick, one night he says, um, he come back, and my dad was wrestling that night, and he was looking for his wallet, and it was gone. And my dad says, you know, where'd you put it? And my Dick said, just laying on my wrestling bag. And my dad said, uh-huh. He says, you can ride with me back tonight, you know. So my dad paid for everything, and... 
uh, paid for the beer and the sandwiches because back in those days they did like a lot of bologna blowouts, you know, and stopped and just got a loaf of bread and a bunch of cold cuts, and that's what they ate because a lot of places were closed when it's the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. So they went on the road for like four days, and my dad had to pay for Dick's hotel rooms and everything. And Dick says, you know, once we get back to town, I'll pay you, Gene. And so finally, four days later, they got back, and, and my dad says, come here, Dick. And Dick said, yes, sir. And he said, here's your poke, which meant your wallet. He said, don't leave it laying around the dressing room. And Dick says, but Gene, I'll pay you the money. And he says, no, it's on me, kid. And it's just like that common rivalry um, to have. Like, um, Dick let me use his house anytime I wanted. When he was away, I could ride his horse if I wanted. Um, it was just very, very, very fond memories, you know. And then, like, Joe Blanchard and Wilbur Snyder and my dad all played pro football together, right? And I, when I went to Blanchard's territory, I lived with Tully, and we had a lot of fun together. And um, Tully taught me a lot of stuff. Um, I went, for being around the wrestling business as much as I was, I um, I didn't know much about wrestling. Um, it took me quite a while to catch on. You know, like, like um, John Ayers, he played for the 49ers, and I used to work out with him at West Texas State. And um, we, we work out all off season together. Manny Fernandez was also on our football team. There was a ton of wrestlers that come out of West Texas State, so uh, sort of um, different that that many wrestlers would could come out of there. Um, the Von Erics, um, one of them tried to come and get um, recruited from West Texas State, Terry. And that he chose not to come, but I, I still was trying to get him to come there to have one more wrestler. Um, I remember when I was 17, my dad took me to the National Wrestling Alliance in Las Vegas, and I met all the promoters and everyone that was somebody, and uh, that was quite an honor. Um, I went out with Harley Race, and we went with him and. Um, I can't remember if it was girlfriend or wife at that time. We went to a show and had a great time. Um, I remember Harley, we were just outside Canyon, Texas, and there was a snowstorm, and it was a spot show, and Harley said, all the guys wanted just to like, quit and go home, and Harley says, you guys can quit, but I'm going out there and having a match. And Harley that night had an hour match, and there was like seven people in the stands and probably 12 to 15 wrestlers. And that really made an impression on me, like uh, how hard these guys do things. I remember Jack and Jerry Briscoe would would be riding with my brother and I, and they said, always make sure that you and Nick stick together no matter what. You know, Barry Windham was also my roommate at West Texas State. You know, and then like Stan Hansen, I met Stan over in Japan, and we just had, we just hit it off. We got along really well. I enjoyed wrestling uh, with Giant Baba and wrestling the Japanese wrestlers. I enjoyed the Japanese food. Um, it, you know, like when Andre the Giant came into town, for some reason they always seemed to put Andre with me, and Andre and I got along really well. 
he could really play crib unbelievable. Um, you know, like they always say, you know, never have a drink before a match. And uh, I never did, but I was sitting there in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was there with Dick Murdoch and Andre, and, and um, Andre brought out a, a bottle of whiskey, and he he handed it to Dick, and Dick took a swallow, which was very unusual, right? And they handed the bottle to me, and uh, and I looked, and I, I said, well, I can't drink before the match. And Murdoch said, kid, if I was you, I'd take a drink. <laughs> so I had a, had a drink at Crown Royal and uh, gave him back the bottle. But, you know, just memories like that. I remember Murdoch and I would be at a bar, and Murdoch did like a rock'em, sock'em robot. He could just give him a little punch, and the person would be out cold. My dad, there'd always be riots and stuff. My dad had no fear. I remember being in the car, and there'd be a bunch of teenagers, you know, flipping my dad off or something. My dad would chase them down and give those guys shit. It didn't matter. Like, he he, he just didn't have fear when it come to riots. Um, there was something being in the ring with my dad when we were tag team partners together, and... My dad says, you know, every time I go to the ring, I'm gonna, when I don't take a nervous pee anymore, I'll, I'll quit wrestling. But he always sort of took that nervous pee before he went into the ring, and off he'd go. And, like, just his timing and stuff, um, his endurance. And I, I told Murdoch, I said, I don't understand. I said, when I wrestle my dad, like, it's forever. Like, it's horrible. Like, an hour feels like five. And he says, you mean old lead suit? And I go, what do you mean by that? He said, well, when you have him in a headlock, he leans on you and wears you out. And once you're wore out, then, then there's nothing you can do to stop him. And I said, oh, that's what's going on. I remember one of the matches I was wrestling, a guy down on the border, and he was an older wrestler. And I, I thought, I don't want to wrestle no old wrestler. like. I I'm, I want an up-and-coming wrestler. I want to show my goods. And this wrestler sort of just stayed in the corner and wore me out and wore me out. Finally, when I was exhausted, he beat the shit out of me. I come down to the dressing room. I grabbed my wrestling bag. I didn't even shower. I got in my car and I left. Hmm. Another, hmm. another thing is I was um, wrestling in this town just outside of Houston, and someone said... Um, we need someone to wrestle Fez. And I thought, the only Fez I know is Mr. Fez. So I come out of the dressing room and I go, are you saying Mr. Fez? And they go, yeah. And I said, I would love to wrestle him. So I got in the ring with Lou Fez and I was quite nervous. And he ended up busting both my eyebrows open and my upper and lower lips. But he he wasn't wrestling dirty. He was just wrestling aggressively. And I had a um, hard time. I, I messed up on this one hold, and I thought, why didn't he snatch me? You know, like a lot of holds are named right after Luce has. And um, I, so I just kept wrestling, and all of a sudden we went to a draw. And I knew any, at any time he could have took me and wrist-locked me and beat me right then. So then after the match, I come back down to the dressing room, and I asked the promoter, could I please go over to talk to Mr. Fez? And he said, yeah. So I went over there and I said, Mr. Fez, I'm, he said, I know who you are. Sit down. And 
I said, sir, I was just honored to be in the ring with you and that. And I said, you know, I messed up that one move. Why didn't you snatch me? He said, I just wanted to see how you recover and what you were made out of. And um, so finally, I, they put my dad in the Hall of Fame, and I saw a TV set, black and white, and it said Lutez was, I can't remember, 40 or 50 back in then. I thought he was like 51 hours wrestling, but he must have been like 70. And I can't imagine what he was like when he was 21 and world champion. It is great that you got to wrestle someone that, you know, your father wrestled and then the history there and the lineage there. Very, very cool stuff. One thing with, with Lutez, like I was flying to a lot of the matches and that, and Lutez called me up one day and he says, how are you going? And I thought, how are you going, sir? And he says, I'm driving. I go, no, sir, you're not driving. I'll drive you, right? So I went and picked up Mr. Fez and this is stories. And he was always working out when he was in the car on his neck and his arms and his hands. He was doing isometric workouts. Um, I really fit in with that uh, type of wrestler. You know, uh, I like a man's man. And he definitely was in one of the all-time toughest not only one of the all-time greats, and like you said, some of the moves named after him and everything else, but one of the all-time greats. And you mentioned, um, you know, Lou says and wrestling and stuff and going to a draw. That's pretty cool, too, that, uh, you know, you get able to say kind of on the resume, oh, he didn't beat me, he went to a draw. Yeah, it was just such an honor. Like I told them they, they had a big event the next day, and I said it was like me wrestling God or Bobby Orr in hockey or something like that. You know, and like the great Kabuki, he always treated me great. He took me all out over in Japan. We had a great time. When I was in high school, I used to work out with the Iron Sheik, Cosgo Mitharian, and we'd do neck exercises, and he'd go, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And, hmm. you know, when I was growing up, a lot of times wrestlers would want to put a hold on you, and they would hurt you. Well, Don Owens was my dad's wrestling uh, promoter, partner, down in Portland, he was up at the house, and he had a few drinks in him. And I was just a young kid, and he put a hold on me, and he hurt me. So I remember going down to bed and crying. And I thought, one day I'm going to be big and tough, and I'm going to get even, right? So years later go by, and he's there. And I grab him, and I hurt him, right? And my dad's screaming at me, don't be hurting Mr. Owens, right? And I thought, you want to hurt me as a kid? I didn't ever forgot that, right? And then... Um, my first territory I went to was in Calgary with Stu Hart. And Stu Hart comes out and he goes, Kelly, my boy, how you doing? I'd like to show you this hold. And I said, hey, you want to put a hold on me? Come get it. He goes, hey, you send him a bitch. You're just like your father. <laughs> that is great. And, uh, you know, it's good being kind of a wrestler's son, too, because you kind of catch on to these guys and what they're up to and some of the old school ways. Yeah. Um, you know, Dory Funk in, in Florida, Dory was booking in Florida, and we went to all the matches together and had a lot of stories and just old times that we would talk about. Um, you know, they were, they were um, just all legends to me. I mean, I looked up at all of them. I was, you know, just getting their ring jackets and getting their autographs. These guys were bigger than life. To me, um, I know my dad would always call Jack Briscoe Handsome Jack. And, you know, Jack would go out there and do an hour match just like it was nothing. You know, 
I, I remember him and Ronnie Piper wrestling each other and um, Ray Stevens doing Ray Stevens bump in the corner and Ted DiBiase. You know, he used to take me when I had time on the weekends. He'd take me to all the different matches and that. Um, Dusty Rhodes, you know, he went to West Texas State. He used to pump gas in Canyon, Texas, just to get money for school. And um, Wahoo McDaniels, I remember going on the road trips with Wahoo. And guess who? Wahoo. My dad had a jet jacket from Wahoo when he played pro football. And my dad bet him about running, I forget how long it was, like 20 miles or something for a six-pack. And Wahoo took my dad up on it. My dad says, who the hell would run 20 miles for just a six-pack of beer? Hmm. Hmm. Hey, so Ernie Ladd, I got, you know, like – um, we made quite a few road trips together, and uh, Big Cat Lad and, and Jim Duggan. Um, I remember they had an incident and with his girlfriend at the time and uh, got in a bad car accident. She passed away, and I had to give him a ride to his house and see, like, the chess set set up and um, all the reminders he had. Like, that was a hard, hard thing to do. Hey, let's pause for one second to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Eat Your Coffee. Eat Your Coffee is a coffee company that was founded by coffee-deprived college students that pioneered a new category in caffeinated natural snacks. The company's first product line, Eat Your Coffee Bars, are a date-based snack bar caffeinated with fair trade coffee, which would be comparable to one cup, and made with real ingredients so you can feel good with every energizing bite. Eat Your Coffee snack bars are non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, 70% organic, and available in three delicious flavors, including fudgy mocha latte, salted caramel macchiato, and peanut butter mocha, my personal favorite. Now that is an energizing combination because they are on a mission to help get people energized with naturally caffeinated snacks made with real, ethically sourced ingredients. So if you want more information, head on over to www.eatyour.coffee, as well as follow them on Instagram, follow them on Facebook, follow them on Pinterest, and follow them on Twitter, and get all the information on how you can energize the moment with eat your coffee bars oh yeah and that's uh, quite a territory down there in the mid-south with duggan and ernie ladd and dbrc and take the snake and all those legendary guys that are part of bill watts territory down there in the south yeah bill watts would always give me his wallet and he had a yellow canary diamond ring that was worth eighty thousand in those days and i was had to hang on to it. I was always worried that maybe something would happen to me. What would I do? And get out of a Rolex watch, and I'd be hanging on to that while he was out front doing whatever he was doing. But uh, that he trusted me enough to, to give me his wallet and that canary diamond was something. Now, we're kind of briefly mentioned Stampede Wrestling in obviously Canada, Stu Hart. You're from Calgary, and obviously Stu Hart, one of the most legendary trainers of all time, is one of the most legendary wrestling families of all time. Is that where your dad, I know obviously your dad had a big hand in training as well, but is that where your dad said, listen, this is going to be where you should go, your first territory, go with Stu Hart. This will really you know, help you. Yes, but no one helped me. I, 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 I just pretty much amateur wrestled in the ring. Um, I didn't really know... Um, my dad never really, he, he taught me like uh, like slams and wrist locks and headlocks and all that, but he didn't teach me really how to pro wrestle. 
I always wanted to bend over and lean into the guy like amateur wrestling instead of standing up tall. Um, they're, they're the wrestlers. Like in the South, I was used to all the gorgeous suntan girls and guys had nice cars and there there was blizzards and and, and in the south it was you know 80 100 degrees it was totally different for me there with the Hart family and the Hart foundation and, and just the ribs they like to do and all that my mom used to warn me about you know different people doing different ribs on you to be careful I always like they were often like when you're in the Van, they might, if you went to sleep, they would, you know, cut half your hair off or shave one of your eyebrows off or something like that, which I never did see the the, the big joke of that. But anyway, that's what they used to be back in those days. Legendary rib, uh, for sure. That's definitely a well-known, for whatever reason, wrestling prank or whatever what, you want to say. Well, one thing rib. they used to do, my mom, I remember my mom told me about it, and she said, Never watch out if like a, a good-looking older gal comes up to you and says, "Hey, Kelly, let's, let's um, come over with some steaks and stuff and beer, and I'll cook for you, right?" And you know, g- gives you a big hug and that. So all of a sudden you show up, and all the wrestlers are behind the curtains and all that, and all of a sudden you're sort of hugging, kissing on her, and they get some great big wrestler with a gun comes in and says. Hey, you're horn around and bang, bang, bang. Oh, my God. And then, of course, the young wrestler would run away, and all the wrestlers would come out and eat the steaks and drink the beer and the big, big hoo-ha. That was called a Mabel party. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good one, I think. Uh, yeah, that's uh, up there. It's, I've never heard that one before. That's, a, that's actually that's a pretty good rip. Yeah, and... Um, like going, going, meeting Fritz. My, my dad and him were, were quite tight, uh, and uh, my dad come to Fritz's funeral and all that. And um, just being in that territory, it was amazing. They would have like a cow pasture. There wasn't even a town, and they would on a piece of plywood would write Von Eric Wrestling, and, and and it would sell out. You know, all of a sudden I would call the office and like we just wrestled in Fort Worth, and I'm like two miles away from the yeah, it was just amazing to me uh, just to be involved there. Um, just Fritz and his kids had a definitely a different relationship than my dad and I. Uh, I'm not saying my my dad told you to jump, you jump as high as you wanted you to, right? But I think Fritz also handled his boys with a pretty um, stiff hand. Yeah, the, there's a lot of stories about um, you know the Von Erickson and Fritz and kind of, you know, treating them not really much more like a son, almost much more like employees or much more like, uh, you know, the wrestlers instead of like his like his own kids. Yeah, um, I just couldn't believe it. Um, like when I got there, all, all the kids that passed away and stuff and and Mike Von Eric and all that, like this tragedy, they, they told me Mike would be all right. And all of a sudden I saw him at interviews and he was like, eh, I can't really, he couldn't even talk, right? I just broke down in tears, you know. Um, just talk about just horrible things that had happened to one family. It is uh, so sad and so crazy, all the deaths that involved in that family, basically Kevin being kind of the last 
on Eric Stanning. It is. I mean, it's just crazy. Did you experience when you were down that territory, you know, the ups and downs of the Von Erich being so popular and then, you know, one death kind of after another? Well, we went uh, to David's funeral and it was huge and there's a God needed a champion and yellow roses and all that. Um, I just, because I was flying, when I was going to Japan, that's when David passed away. So I was actually in the air when they found out David passed away. So when I got to Japan, like there was a big kerfuffle because of David Von Erich being passed uh, passed away. Crazy. And then obviously, you know, the the death following that, uh, and Mike, and then you know, years later, Carrie. I mean, there's always so much uh, tragedy involved in that family and that territory. But if you think about the Von Erichs and that territory down in Texas, I mean, it was such, like you said, such power and the sellouts and the fans were just, lo- you know, absolutely loved them. What was kind of your experience like working in that territory? Because that is, you know, wrestling kind of royalty down there. I mean, it's a great territory and just some great legendary things happened there. Yeah, I got to wrestle Gino Hernandez which a lot of guys did not get along with Gino. But I remember we were like 100 miles out of Fort Worth or so in, in a, uh, a arena, um, like a cowboy arena, rodeo arena. And I was uh, semi-wind-up and Gino was main event. And, of course, everybody left except Gino and I. And I went on and I went and had a match. And all of a sudden the cowboys start coming in the ring and I, I I got a riot going, right? And I'm fighting all the different cowboys and that, and you got to really watch that the police don't grab you because once they grab your arm, then you can really get nailed. And all of a sudden, I, someone's coming up the backside of me, and who was it? It was Gino Hernandez. And he helped me clear the ring, and then the guy finally quit coming, and um, I went back to the dressing room, and I waited there to see if Gino was going to be all right in his match. But um, you, you remember days like that when people come out to help you. Like, you know, a lot of guys just don't do that. Yeah, I mean, oof, crazy, and especially that day and age where those fans kind of, you know, bought into it more. Obviously, nowadays, you know, or maybe they still do, but no riots are happening because people think it's real as far as that. Back then, it was it was you know such emotion. People thought it was real. They were rioting. They're going to come in the ring and kill you. I mean, you had to really fear for your life at times. For sure. But um, I learned that from my dad, like, stay on your feet. I can tell you a good story. Uh, the first time I was wrestling in St. Louis, Missouri, which was, like, just fantastic for me because my dad wrestled in St. Louis so much. I go there. I'm on the middle of the card. And usually I was a heel most of the time, but since I was Gene Kendisky's son, all the fans brought roses and teddy bears up to me and, little trinkets and all this, and I um, get all that stuff. I wrestle in my match, come back to the dress room. My dad says, you know, you're going to be a second. You're going to walk me down to the ring. And he, um, um, excuse me for a second, Rick Flair, he was, my dad was wrestling Rick Flair for the world title, and everybody's cheering my dad and booing Rick Flair. And... They both win a, a match, a piece, and I'm, like, cheering my dad on, and all of a sudden I feel people come up behind me and, like, 
slapped me on the back of my shoulders, like wishing my dad really good luck. But, like, it, it, they're hitting me pretty hard, right? And all of a sudden, my dad slides out of the ring. He says, you dumb son of a bitch, turn around and start fighting. And all of a sudden, the fans changed, and they wanted to kill my dad and I. So we're there kicking and punching the wrestling fans, and I told my dad, this is a fine way to raise your son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, hey, son, by the way, you know, we're going to be in a riot. So uh, turn around and get ready to fight. Yeah, I had no idea. I'd, I was just because everyone was so nice to us and brought, like I said, teddy bears and flowers to my dad and all that too, that I had no idea that the fans would change and all of a sudden want to kill us. You ever, you know, when, you, when you're doing pro wrestling and something like that happens, do you ever just say, you know, maybe like the next day or maybe later on in the night, like, yeah, you know, I think this isn't for me or I'm done with this. Or Does ever that, that, any of that kind of stuff ever scare you or your dad had you so prepared, you're like, yeah, just another walk in the park, you know, just another day on the job. Well, see, I always wrestled with my dad. And as far as I was concerned, you weren't going to get anyone tougher than my dad. So, like, even the wrestler, excuse me, the football coach had asked me, they said, you're fearless. And I thought, like, when I was playing football, I said, who, who else is going to be tougher than my dad? Nobody. So I didn't have that type of fear. And then you got to remember, like, I'd be in the bar with Harley Race, and he'd, he'd be knocking guys out and Dick Murdoch knocking people out. I remember one time Dick punched this guy, didn't go down all the way, and uh, Harley Race come over there and just nails him, and the guy's down on the floor, and all of a sudden Dick and Harley are fighting. I'm watching all this, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? And Dick was trying to just get the guy to come outside so he could really beat the guy up. And here, Harley just thought Dick couldn't punch much anymore or had sore fists or something. So anyway, when Harley punched the guy and the guy was out cold, Dick was pissed off. <laughs> That is great, though, if, uh, you know, if you're not going to finish them all, basically, I'll finish them all. Yeah, there's a lot of different big egos there, and, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of stories that molded me, um, and, like, I knew, like, you didn't back down. I remember some wrestlers wouldn't fight, and we were down, uh, I can't remember the town now, down on the coast in Texas, and um, a couple of the wrestlers were backing down from these guys, and I got pissed off and uh, beat the guys up. And I guess everybody left the fast food restaurant, and I'm sitting there trying to get something to eat, and no one would come in because I, I beat up all of these guys. That's great, though, that, um, you know, you're going to hang in there and, and kind of just beat them up just, you know, just for the fun of it and just because they wouldn't. But is it true that a lot of the promoters would say, basically, if you get in a fight and you lose a fight, don't come back and don't show up to work? You know, I've heard that a lot, and I've heard that said about Bill Watts and all that. No one ever told me that. But you know what? I think they already knew. You know, with me being Gene Kaminsky's son, I wasn't going to back down. I remember the football coaches, I would hurt some of the guys when I was in practice. and. They'd go, you know, quit hurting them. I go, well, quit having them come at me, right? And they'd ask me. They finally moved me to center, and um, I said, why are you moving to center? They said, we don't know what you're doing, but it's working, and we don't want the referees to see what you're doing, so we're moving you to center. Huh. <laughs> and 
I guess Telly, uh, Telly was the quarterback, correct? And yep. When you were there, oh, it's a center quarterback uh, exchange there and roommates. That's pretty cool. Yep. And like I said, John Ayers that played for the 49ers for 10 years was there. And like his wife and Ted DiBiase's wife would get together and just rib me. I'd turn bright red. They'd be teasing me about a girlfriend or whatever, right? Of course, they were a few years older than me and been around, and I was still pretty much a greenhorn. <laughs> and there's so many other legendary guys like that. Uh, um, and I believe even Tito Santana was on your team as well. Yep, for sure. Yeah, there's, it's amazing the amount of wrestlers. If you look it up, all the different wrestlers that come out of West Texas State, um, it's uh, pretty amazing, you know. And just the time just to be able to hang out with um, Dory Funk and, and his kids and, and his wife at the time, you know, I just had lots of fun memories, um, I, sort of a dream come true. They were, um, they'd have big cookouts, barbecue, cook up a goat or two, um, have a big fire roasting a, a steer or whatever. I remember Ray Stevens, Dick Murdoch, and I, and I can't remember who else. They were all bulldogging, right? And they would. I remember Ray would take a few big shots of whiskey and get on a cutting horse and tell him nod his head, and the gate would fly open at Dick's house, and the steer would come out and. Ray would jump on the steer and bring them down. I thought, these guys are crazy. They definitely are a different type of breed. They're definitely crazy guys. Now I know why your dad kind of wanted you to keep away from those guys. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I mean, you know, I, I grew up with like, Don Leo Jonathan. Like, he was 330 pounds and could do a kip-up. And, I, you know, I was going to school at Canyon, Texas, and at that time I was reloading bullets for a 44 Smith & Wesson Magnum. And I, I knew all the numbers for reloading and what kind of powder to put in the, the shell and that. And finally, Don Leo Jonathan come by and he goes, well, back in 52, I used to reload. I used two-pound powder, you know, 6578 or whatever it was. And uh, he said, that was the accuracy reload and that's what did the best. And I thought, He's exactly right, and he remembered that from 1952. It was amazing. Pretty good recall right there. Yeah. My dad, another thing, my dad was amazing. He was with my brother, and they're going down to California over to Palm Springs, and my dad says, over this hill is a big truck stop, and told my brother the name of it and everything, and they have real good sandwiches there. And sure enough, they go over the hill, and this old, old truck stop is still there. And my brother asked me, he says, do you remember about different restaurants or truck stops when you were on the road? I said, hell no. My mix says, the last time Dad wrestled in that territory was like in the 50s. I don't know how he could remember all those years later, you know, all the years later. Definitely a great recall, of course, and and obviously being on the the road so much. You know, you mentioned your brother, too, and and your brother wrestled for, for a time as well. It was just something that also your dad kind of didn't want him in the business either, but just naturally Happold ended up in the business? Right. I don't think he could really say no to us. Both of us graduated from university, and he said, as long as we did that, we could start pro wrestling, and that's what we did. Um, my brother's a real tough son of a gun, and, and 
I don't sure wouldn't want to go against him at any time. Um, he wrestled for Simon Fraser University in Canada, and uh, his roommate was Bob Molly that got the silver medal in the Olympics in wrestling, and they were always working out together. Um, just the you know all those wrestlers were just tough tough guys, cutting weight and um, working out morning and night and on the wrestling mat and getting getting tossed and you know you, you just learn to be tough. I'm mean, just playing football for West Texas State. We won two Missouri Valley Conference championships. Um, if you if you didn't have the go in you, you would have never made it there. And if you think about it, I mean, all these great wrestlers and, you know, all this great talent, and obviously you, your brother, great wrestler, your father's a great wrestler, you know, is it kind of bred in you? You're just a wrestler, whether, you, whether, you know, maybe he doesn't want you to be it, maybe you're not into it as much or whatever, but it's just bred into you, right? You just, you're a wrestler. Yeah, I, I well, just to see my dad, uh, I didn't really understand that, you know, like my dad was gone all the time, right? maybe home three days out of the year. But I didn't look like you were going to be away from your family and away from your kids and away from your wife. I just thought, you know, you're going to be a star and you're going to make a lot of money. Why wouldn't I want to do that, you know? Um, i got to also mention here, um, my dad has a book coming out, Gene Kinniski, Canada's Wrestling Legend. And a friend of mine, Steve, wrote the book, and he did a whole bunch of research. So in the next few months, the book should be coming out. He just did a fine, fine job on it. If anybody wants to know a lot about my dad, his history, where he grew up, uh, all that kind of stuff. And did you play a big part in kind of helping him write the book? Actually, he knew a lot more stuff than my brother and I put together. He wow. Went back to, he went back to Edmonton. He called all my dad's friends, people that were related. Um, it was amazing that he did. Is that something that you know you're kind of wanted to be out there? Is that something you're happy with? Uh, you know, a book really showcasing your father and his legendary career. Yeah, well, I think my dad definitely deserves it. You know, nowadays in wrestling, you hear about Lou Sands and Jack Briscoe and Perry and Dory Funk. But they very seldom ever um, mention my father. I find that sort of strange that that they just sort of skip over him. Yeah, it is. Any idea why? No, no idea why. This that is kind of strange. That is kind of weird. You know, you'll get yeah, some people is. obviously that mention it. But yeah, you're right. There is there is sometimes where he, where he's kind of skipped over. But obviously, he's the guy that kind of he says and, and kind of. You know, held the belt for over three years, I mean, several, several years, and really you know, was a huge name in the 60s, especially with the NWA world title, and then kind of passing the torch to Dory Funk. So definitely should not be forgotten, but you're right, because a lot of people mention Funk and Race and Briscoe. Yeah, and I, I don't know why that is. Uh, it's not because he's my dad. It's just like that I think he deserves a, a seat with the big boys, you know, because he did it. Um, yeah, I, he, he's I, the one that got Dory over. Yep. 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 And um, you know, like Greg Valentine, I remember traveling with him and Bruiser Brody, and you know, just 
just all these different great, great talents, but also characters. You know, my dad was Gene Kanifty 24-7. He never did change. He was always like that. You know, people go, is he different at home? I go, hell no, he's like a bull in a china shop. <laughs> but that is great, and that is great. I, I didn't know about the book. That is something very, very cool. Definitely interested in that. Looking forward to that when it comes out. But, you know, talking so much about your dad and kind of the Kaniski legacy, if you will, but what was the favorite territory that you worked? Because you worked in so many different territories, and you traveled the globe. I mean, whether it was, like you mentioned, the Pacific Northwest or Stampede in Canada or World Class we talked about. We talked about all Japan. What was kind of one of your favorite territories that you worked? Well, all of them are sort of different, like Fritz's territory I loved because all the matches were close by. So it was like sort of like you were on a vacation. Bill Watts' territory, you had to travel a lot, right? But like a lot of times Murdoch and I would be together and we, we would stop at horse ranches and look at guys' horses, and we did all kinds of stuff, right? So it made it more than just wrestling. So like it's like the people that you're around, not so much the territory. You know, when I was in Florida, Dory and I traveled all the time together, and Terry would come in occasionally and ride with us. You know, and then when I was with um, Tony Blanchard, you know, I got to make all those trips with Lou Fez, and I'm so glad that I you know, took him in my car instead of trying to fly and skip over that. Because, um, I, I like I like the old old wrestlers. Um, they were more on my wavelength, more more like my dad than some of the newer wrestlers. Like some of the newer wrestlers, you know, would wear t-shirts or shorts. Like I was always told, you're supposed to wear a suit or a sports coat. I don't care what you're traveling in, but once you get by the arena, you need to stop by a gas station and put on a nice shirt and slacks and some nice shoes. And, you know, if you're going to be a champion, you got to act like a champion. And um, it, the whole wrestling business was changing, and I didn't really understand that. I thought, you know, these guys um, sh- should be dressed up, not coming out like their characters and stuff. Absolutely. Totally agree with you on that. Now, you know, you mentioned... I remember- Oh, I'm sorry. I remember Terry Funk, he told me, one day it's just going to be one big territory, right? And I thought, oh, that can't happen. There's 300 different territories. I can't see sort of one person taking over the wrestling business. You know, but he told me that back in university. And um, also Terry getting in the, the movie business. And I got to meet Sylvester Stallone. And guys from Japan would come, and they would hook me up with some photographers, and I would take them and get them cowboy boots and western hats and cowboy belt buckles and all that. And I told one guy, I says, do you realize you're spending a lot of money today? And he goes, don't worry, Kelly, I'm a very rich man in Japan. (laughs) Now, you know, you know, you mentioned. Yep. I was going to say you mentioned that Terry Funk line. He was, you know, about to, there was only going to be one territory left. Pretty clairvoyant there, and pretty psychic with Vince and the WB kind of being the only game in town. Yeah, for sure. Because I, the Funks sold out to Dick Murdoch 
and Blackjack Mulligan, right? And they both bought um, big cars. I can't remember what kind of car they were nowadays, but they had matching cars, and they were going to be the promoters uh, of the Amarillo Territory and stuff, which uh, didn't work out quite as good as they hoped. But everything was changing people, and a lot of people didn't really understand that. Yeah, Vince basically uh, took over, and that was kind of uh, the end of, of the territory days. And you, you know, you ended up working in so many different territories. And at one point, you were even in Mid South, the Max Superstar Number Two. Was anything supposed yeah. to come of that, or was that just kind of a one-time deal? What was the deal with the Max Superstar gimmick? I don't know. I was just did what I was told, and. Um, and then they had me wrestle with D.D. Austin and I forget somebody else on top there for a few weeks. And then I went down to, to begin, you know, um, the first match again. Um, I, I, I didn't get what it took to be an on-top guy. Um, I, I'm not, I just figured after five years and being in the Carolinas and Florida, and St. Louis, and Calgary, and Vancouver, and all the other different territories. Uh, you know, I figured, well, um, I obviously don't have whatever they're looking for. I might as well get out. And so I sort of knew, like, if you were going to get out, you know, never look back. So I, that's what I did. I just got out of the wrestling business. Um, I, for some reason, didn't call any of the wrestlers or get any of their opinions. I remember Dick Murdoch was in the dressing room the night I quit, and I come up, Dick and I were driving, riding together, and I told Dick, I says, I'm quitting. He says, kid, that's sensational. He jumped up and shook my hand, and I says, I'm fixing to go to a movie and have some popcorn and some goobers, and I said, I'll pick you up after the matches are over. And then for the next night, we stayed in the hotel room because there was still another show that Murdoch had to be on, and I just went to another movie and they picked them up afterwards and then finally I made it back to Shreveport and packed my stuff up and I left and went back down to Dallas, Texas, actually Irving, Texas, and that's where I become a journeyman electrician. Nice. And basically you were right. You, you, you retired from the business and, and you never looked back. Was it something because I know you said, you know, you're getting tired of it. You're just going down to too many territories. Was the kind of ever-changing climate in the mid to late 80s where it was more sports entertainment and they kind of went with more characters and away from the wrestling base, that also kind of play a factor? For sure, yeah. Um, it looked more cartoonish to me. And like on the marquee, it always said wrestling. And I always believed the wrestlers should be wrestlers. Like, kind of, like I said, I was sort of more the old-time era compared to the new time. You regret kind of, you know, retiring and never looking back and not kind of, you know, re-entering the business? Well, who knows? But, you know, um, I, I don't know. I would go to interviews and they never asked me to do an interview. Only place um, in Toronto they'd have me do interviews up there. But um, other than that, that's the only place I did an interview. I would go there and watch all the guys on top do interviews and, I remember one of the boys says, you need to get a different haircut. Well, I, like, like, what kind of haircut? What should I do? I didn't really understand being a character at all. Um, I, 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 
I was who I was. I remember Mike Sharp and I wrestled down in Louisiana, one of those small towns, and uh, we went after it, right? And, but then they never booked us back together again. I thought we had a sensational match. Um, you know, they, they set this one wrestler up. I was um, in the Carolinas, and they were telling the wrestler, you know, you got to knock out Kaniski because he's going to hurt you, right? So it comes back to me, well, I'm not going to let somebody just sucker punch me. The guy goes to come in the ring, and I go to boot him right in the face. And he backed out, and he refused to wrestle me that night, right? Mm. Um, You know, the the wrestlers do ribs like that, but, like, um, you know, that's one thing my dad taught me. Like, when you go into the ring, when you go to get in the ring, don't jump up there with both feet. Just jump up there with one knee in case the ring ropes break. Then you have the other foot to drop back on. So I could actually watch a lot of wrestlers how they even got in the ring, and you'd know whether they knew what they were doing or not. And wow, the guys look at that. that. Smart. The guys that could wrestle. I got to wrestle Dick Murdoch one night, right? So I'm in there, and, you know, Dick was like a big brother to me slash dad. He, he just, just took wonderful care of me. So now I'm wrestling Dick Murdoch, and I want him to be – as good as I possibly can be. I'm in the ring, and I thought Dick was going to hit me with the right, and I tucked my chin. He hit me with a, a left and knocked me out, I, I, but I was still on my feet, right? And um, uh, he, I remember Dick saying, oh, your side's going to hit you with the right, huh? And I just I wanted to go down to the mat and just lay there, but I just had too much pride, right? I didn't want to know that I was completely knocked out. And then... Uh, we had a match, it was probably a 45-minute match, and uh, the fans went nuts, and I, that's a real fond memory of mine, too. Not only getting punch drunk that one night, but uh, be able to have Dick with a wrestling match. That is great, and I love that uh, he's kind of taking some liberties with you, but you're not, uh, you know, you're not uh, giving up, you're not quitting, that's pretty cool. Yeah, when we went to go down to New Orleans, Murdoch and I would wear white power Ku Klux Klan shirts, right? Oh. And pretty much all, all the fans there were black. And they would turn over wrestlers' cars. We had a parking lot. But they were afraid to turn over Murdoch to my car. And uh, they would just stay back and, you know, say, say, Kaniski or Murdoch ain't shit. And the whole place would just vibrate. <laughs> That is crazy and ballsy of you guys. You guys weren't uh, fearful at all, like you said, like almost like your dad, fearless. Yeah, well, that, that's I, I learned that from all the old school guys. You know, Terry's not going to back down from nobody. You know, uh, um, Harley Race, he's not going to back down from nobody. Um, I remember there was a story, and I don't know if it's true or not. It's just a story. You hear a lot of stories in wrestling, but uh, Harley Race was in a really nice, swanky, swanky place. And these two blacks broke in and were going to rob all the people that were really rich in this swanky restaurant. And they got up to Harley and they said, hand over your stuff. And Harley said, the hell you are. And Harley started chasing them. And both those guys had guns and Harley didn't have any guns. <laughs> wow. Talk about not only tough, but uh, pretty ballsy as well. You can't go after Harley Race like that. Makes one. No, but I meant these are stories I grew up and knew and saw, and I knew my dad wasn't afraid of anyone. 
and um, that, that that's uh, all these guys were like who I lived with and roomed with and traveled with and ate with and oh I, I can tell you a story. My dad always told me never eat after two o'clock, and, and I said why? You know, and he said one night he was going to wrestle Wilbur Snyder, so. He ate late, and then he thought, oh, I'm, a, I'm early, so I might as well stop and have a piece of apple pie. And he gets in the ring, and all of a sudden, Wilbur Snyder just starts beating the shit out of my dad. And all of a sudden, my dad ate too late, and he had to puke. He, had to, he ran under the ring to try to puke to get the food out of him. They had Wilbur come right after him, and he says, oh, you think just because you're wrestling me, you think it's a night off? I'll teach you, you son of a bitch. And then, oh. so that was the last time. He ever ate late for the matches. Oh, boy. You know, and the, the traveling my dad did, like he would go all the way to Japan, put a, put his trunks and ring jacket on um, on the train, come in, they'd say, Gene Kaniski's coming, coming, and all of a sudden dad would run into the arena and go to the ring and Giant Baba would be in there and have his match. He would get back on the, 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 the train and... Um, change back into his suit, get back on the plane, fly back here, uh, and then go to one of the towns around B.C., and one of the um, newspaper writers says, oh, that's a bunch of bull. And my dad says, well, you think it's a bunch of bull? He says, why don't you check your facts and see the airlines it was on and see where I went? And, like, they just can't believe the amount of traveling that my dad did. And you got to remember my dad was like on the first jet that ever come out of New York. So a lot of a lot of those matches and stuff that he had to fly to were on top planes. Now speaking of New York and everything else, did you ever want to work for Vince and the WWE, or is that just something that wasn't on your radar? Um, that really wasn't something on my radar. I, I was um, trying, trying to um, um, sort of learn everything I could do to learn. And, and um, um, no, I just, it just wasn't on my radar. I didn't really, I heard of Vincent Man, but I, I didn't really know him. And then my brother went there and wasn't very happy there and wrestled, I think, one match and left. So um, I don't think I made any mistakes. I don't think my dad was really loved in that territory. Now, as we start to wind it down, I just have to ask this because, you know, there's so many matches you've had. And uh, we talked about so many different territories you were in. But do you have some favorite matches you've had in your career looking back? Well, definitely. You know, the one with Dick Murdoch, the one with Lou Fez, um, those matches, were, you know, wrestling my dad, the tag team matches with my dad, and uh, the fun we'd have together when we were on the road. My dad was a different person when he was on the road and uh, hotel rooms and how you hang your trunks on your wrestling bag and never check your wrestling bag. Make sure you always carry it with you. Um, you know, you, where else are you going to get wrestling shoes if they lose your, your luggage? You know, there is no other place. Fern Ganya, I remember going to his territory. And, you know, New Vern was a tough guy. Um, you know, and I, I, I've got to say, I just have great memories, but I didn't see my career going anywhere, so that's when I decided, well, I've gone this far, I don't seem to be going up the ladder, so that's when I decided I would just get out. My brother stayed here, 
for a while longer. Then he got out and he bought a big tavern here in Washington State and did really well for himself. And it was more like the wrestling business, you know, having a, a bar slash tavern and all the people coming in to see my dad and his photos and all that kind of stuff. Very, very cool. Now, with your career and with all these great matches and the territories and the opponents, is there somebody, you know, maybe or maybe a couple opponents you've wrestled that we wouldn't necessarily think of, you know, like kind of like an unsung hero kind of guy that you wrestled that maybe I didn't mention or maybe we haven't mentioned yet? No, I just, I, I got to say, Gino Hernandez, everyone thought, everyone didn't like him. And Gino and I just got along really well. And when I got in the ring with Gino, I learned a lot that night. And uh, that that was pretty amazing. You know, he passed away too. Another one passed away in Dallas. Chris Adams and, you know, all these guys. Like My brother says, go on YouTube or go on the Internet and see how many 40-year-old wrestlers have passed away. I actually got teared up when I because I didn't realize how many guys, you know, got passed away for whatever reason. It is an alarming, alarming amount. I mean, it is crazy. And I feel like a lot of the Texas guys, too, unfortunately, um, are gone. Yeah, um, I, but I, you know, when you phoned me and I just sort of wrote down some of the things I wanted to sort of talk about and the wrestlers, and it, it brought back so many great memories and, and to be sort of a rock star's son. And we had motorcycles, and my dad bought me a brand new car when I was 16, a Cutlass Oldsmobile 442, and I was able to go snow skiing and just everything that wrestling brought to our family, um, I, I was always grateful for that because, you know, um, no one cheered me when I was electrician. It was a total different um, type of thing, and, and no one really knew who you were or nothing. Where, you know, when you're wrestling and you go to a restaurant, people know you, and you go to the grocery store, and people want your autograph. I, I got to say, that's one thing with my dad. He always thanked the people right until he died. People come to, to the, um, where, where he was passing away to the senior center there, and he had like two months pretty much, and just tons of people come and saw my dad and thanked him. And so many guys, my dad told, quit your job and go to the school. And a lot of the young guys did that, and now they're engineers and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's just what what an honor um, to become Gene Kaniski's son and, and, and Nick Kaniski and having Nick as my brother. And we used to work out a lot together. Um, it's, it's just, uh, it's sort of just magical, I guess. When you think back about not only yourself and not only brother, but your dad and you just kind of think, what you would you say when people think about that Kaniski legacy and that Kaniski name? What would you say is the lasting legacy that the Kaniski name left on the wrestling business? I think all the people that come to watch my dad got their money's worth. I don't think my dad ever went out there and didn't give them their money's worth. Now, as far as plugs and maybe even the book and things like that, 
you know, where can the fans kind of reach out and, and find Kelly Kaniski, and where can the fans maybe reach out and find out some more information about this book coming out about the legendary Gene Kaniski as well? Yeah, um, they can get a hold of me at kelly.kaniski at gmail.com. You know, right, another, and thing, another thing, too, is how tough the girl wrestlers had it in those days, traveling from territory to territory, and the midgets, how hard they had it, you know, from going territory to territory. Um you had, you had to be tough to be a wrestler and make all the shots and all the different bad rings. and um... yeah, It's not like it is today. That I mean, that's for sure. It's a little bit easier, um, especially on travel, and they get off days, and, and, you know, they maybe baby wrestle four times a week, and they get off three days. Um, you know, there's some travel days in there too, but it's not like it used to be where, you know, you're wrestling 300-plus days a year. I see the wrestlers nowadays, and they're flying through the air. Oh, my God, if you, all of a sudden you miss something or land on something, your career is over. You know, my dad always said, you got to remember you got to wrestle the next night, right? And um, I, I, my dad always sort of made sure that he took care of himself, you know, um, just, just like I said, just getting into the ring in case the ring ropes break. One night, the turnbuckle broke, hit him in the forehead, and he just about he was world champion. He went to a draw, and then they had to run him to the hospital. He just about bled to death, and then that was just because of a bad ring. But my dad made it to the end. Uh, you, you never know in the business, and you're right with today's wrestlers. There's a lot more injuries today. That's for damn sure than there used to be. Yeah, I see him flying through the air and off huge ladders and off basketball hoops and like all this crazy stuff. Um, I, I, and I don't think, like when I used to go out and watch the matches, you know, like the Briscoes and that, and I got excited. And if I got excited, believe me, the fans got excited. So that's how I knew whether it was a great match or not, is if I could um, stand there and watch the match and be really excited and thrilled about the match. It's a little bit different uh, nowadays with wrestling. It's uh, lost a little bit of its luster. I mean, I mean that's definitely for sure. I definitely still enjoy the, the golden days of wrestling when you were wrestling, and so that's kind of like uh, my era. Do I like to go back and watch some of that that stuff? Whereas uh, a little more psychology, a little bit more storytelling, and you know, it definitely seems a lot more real. For sure, and believe me, some of those wrestlers, some of those nights were a long night. You know, you get in the ring and, um, you know, you want to waltz or two-step or however you want to do it. And, you know, I, I took some pretty good shots, but uh, I gave them right back, believe me. And uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to the book with, you know, Gene Kineski as the focus because, those are even the, the you know, the, the golden era, if you will. That is the, the real era that kind of brought the golden era, so to speak. I mean, that's the era that ushered in all these great stars, and that's definitely something I'm looking forward to because I love the history of the business, and he definitely played a huge part in, you know, what the business had become and is still hopefully going to become. Uh, John, I just really appreciate being on your podcast, Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. 
I really really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to talk here. This is the first podcast that I've done about wrestling since I got out of the business. Oh, wow, definitely awesome. We're uh, honored that you came on. That is great. I did not know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys and talk to all the fans out there. And I have to say, all the fans that come up to me, they just have really fond memories. Their mom and dad watched it, or their dad and their daughter watched it. Um, one gal come in, I was selling real estate at the time, and she said, are you Kelly Kaniski? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, are you Gene Kaniski's son? And I said, yes, ma'am. And I said, how can I help you? She said, your dad old in Victoria. I was out in the highway hitchhiking, and I was like 12 years old. Your dad pulled over, picked me up, told me what the hell was I doing hitchhiking, demanded to know where I lived. My dad took her home, dropped her off, and said, don't you ever hitchhike ever again. And the lady was like, 57 years old when she came into my office and she said, you know what? I never hitchhiked again. <laughs> that is great. Kind of an away from retro, but that is great. Yeah, I just, like I said, I just um, have all these fond memories. Um, just the, the guys that went before me and the guys went after me, you know, it's going to be what it is. You know, I just, Hope that they can have fond memories like I have. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.